is a way of how we take care of our communities. When I go and cast my vote, that's not just impacting me and maybe my family and the people around me, but it's impacting everybody who lives where I do. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Becoming a more informed and involved citizen is something that I've been learning about and growing into lately. Here in the U.S., we have 49,000 elections happening across 34 states this week. When people turn 18 in this country, we're granted the right to vote. This is a privilege and responsibility that, quite honestly, I haven't always exercised in the past. But I've been thinking a lot lately about how it's a big step in growing up, and it's obviously really important. I started reflecting on why I haven't voted in the past and doing some research about what keeps other people from voting and what motivates people to vote. I sat down with my sample ballot and my laptop and I started Googling and reading and learning about my municipal, county, and state governments. And then I got on the phone with previous Perennials podcast guest Lauren Roberts to talk about all of it. Lauren has worked on Capitol Hill as an aide to senators. She's currently a yoga teacher and a coach, and she works with CitizenWell and the New York City Alliance Against Sexual Assault. She also founded Indie Yoga Votes, a campaign to bridge her local yoga community with political action, and has worked in spaces like Planned Parenthood and Vote Run Lead. You can find Lauren on Instagram at Lauren K. Roberts, and also now at Democracy Witch. We're in good hands with Lauren, and to my listeners who don't live in the U.S., I want to let you know that though Lauren and I do talk about elements of the political process that are very particular to our democratic system in the United States, I think Lauren has a lot of insight about social movements, power, and change that's applicable on a much wider scale. And if you are listening to this on Monday, November 4th, don't forget that there might be an election happening near you tomorrow on Tuesday, November 5th. If you're not sure if you're registered to vote, you can go to vote.org or vote411.org. You can see if you're registered. You can register, not in time for this one, but for the future. You can look up who's on the ballot. They might even have links to candidates' websites. You can see some questions or referendums that might be on the ballot. And you can also uh, find links to find out where your polling place is. So, uh, you know, grab a friend and get out to vote. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited about this. Thank you for coming back on and agreeing to be the voting expert. I'm really excited. Oh, (laughs) jeez. No, I'm afraid we're like overselling it, but of course, I'm so glad to be here. Okay, so let's just jump in. I'm just going to jump in with a big question and ask you, why should people vote? Well, that is a very big question with a very big answer. Um... First of all, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are some people who do choose not to. Um, And I'm not talking about people who have a ton of access and privilege and are like, oh, whatever, like it doesn't matter. I'm talking about people who have been systematically disenfranchised from voting for centuries, um, particularly people of color. So for some people, they're just so fed up and have been um, kept out of the process for so long that I really, I'm careful never to be like you, like every single person should vote. Of course, if people do vote, um, it really makes a big impact. And, um, basically the system is really broken 
we live in a really, really messed up um, political system right now. But the only way to fix it is to overwhelm it with participation because we are still a democracy, even though it doesn't always feel that way. And there are a lot of things that keep people from voting, like voter ID laws, um, gerrymandering, you know, voter suppression tactics that seem to be more and more commonplace these days. But at the end of the day, all of those things can be undone if voters show up in the numbers that we need them to. Um, and so, especially in a year like 2019, where usually only about one in five people actually show up and vote in their local or state elections when it's not a presidential year, um, it can go really, really far. So even one vote really, really matters. I think it's really interesting because I read a study from the Pew Research Center that said that the 2018 midterm elections had the highest voter turnout in recent history. Um, yes. Since 1978. And, that and that's four midterms, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, sorry. And that the turnout was also particularly increased among Hispanics and Asians. Um, and so it made it the most racially and ethnically diverse um, wow. Midterm election voter turnout ever. So like people are, I think, galvanized right now. Right. I mean, we see that everywhere. Yeah. It's not earth shattering news, but mm -hmm. it's interesting to observe that there is actually a current that's pushing forward right now. And it's exciting to like jump into it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, and it's such a good time to get involved, too, because since the 2016 election, it seems like there's so many more on-ramps to like understanding how the process works. So many new groups have kind of popped up or groups that were around forever about voter um, participation and civic engagement have gotten more funding. And so when you Google, where's my polling place, tons of great websites come up now that make it really easy to find rather than navigating like your crappy, you know, city government website. So um, this is also just a great time to jump in, if especially if you're brand new to the process, because there's so many more resources right now. Yeah, I found vote.org was super helpful. Yes, um, definitely. Because you can find out, if you go to vote.org, it takes approximately 20 seconds to find out. If you're registered, um, you can register there on that mm -hmm. website. You can find out who's on the ballot, where you're supposed to I think it'll direct you to your state's website, which mm -hmm. can help you find your polling place. Like it's pretty much all there. It's very, and it's like 20 seconds. Yes. Although I did notice today and I could, hopefully it's gotten fixed, but vote.org on my phone's browser wasn't working. So at the workshop I did earlier about all these same things, we ended up using vote411.org. Oh, okay. Um, and that seemed to work well too. So, but there are tons of websites out there. So yeah. And I'll good. put, I'll put links to those on the show notes page for oh, the episode. I'm curious when you said, uh, I, it was such a cool way to phrase it. You said the only way to fix the system is to overwhelm it with participation. And yeah. I'm curious, so when it does come to something like gerrymandering, does mm -hmm. voting, it's, can voting itself fix, it's kind of meta, right? Because you're like voting into a yeah. system that's broken. Is it the voting itself or is it that voting is an act of participation that kind of is a cue that you're a little bit more aware and involved and more likely to like, you know, politicians are, are more likely to pay attention to that. Um, how does that? Uh, yeah, work? I see what you're saying. So it's, it's both, but mainly the first one, because um, for anyone who doesn't know what gerrymandering is, it's where um, the lines that like the boundaries of congressional districts 
um, and state level districts are drawn by the state legislatures. So for example, if there's a Republican legislature in power in a certain state, like where I live in Indiana, they're going to draw the lines to favor Republicans getting reelected, which means they might carve out, you know, predominantly Democratic voting neighborhoods, which usually means black neighborhoods where I live in Indianapolis, or they might, um, you know, kind of zigzag a line through a black neighborhood to kind of spread the votes out so that the district is harder um, for a Democrat to win. So it's a very politicized process and it ends up serving to keep the same people in power. They redraw these lines every 10 years following the census. So the next census is happening in 2020 where they count um, everybody in the U.S. And then each state the following year in 2021 redraws the lines. So for example, in Virginia, a lot of people are paying attention to that race this year because they're, I think they only need to flip two House seats to Democrats and maybe one Senate seat to Democrats in order to have a majority, um, which means when they redraw the lines in 2021, a lot of um, the political gerrymandering that Republicans have been doing there will be able to be undone. Um, and I feel like there are people who know a lot more about this, by the way. So Google is your friend if anything I'm saying is incomplete or confusing. But basically, it comes down to who are your state-level elected representatives. So who you are voting for in these state-level races really, really matters um, because ultimately those are the people drawing these maps. So actually, voting does really matter to something like gerrymandering, but also a high voter turnout of people with a certain set of values does send a signal of like, we're paying attention. (laughs) And let's say it's a year when there's no map redrawing, no redistricting going on. Um, like if there's a legislator who sees overwhelming turnout from the other party in their district, even if they keep their seat, that might make them change their positions on certain things. If it's somebody who's maybe more moderate. So it really does matter not only for who ultimately ends up in that office, but for the decisions that the person in that office is making. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think it, it makes a good case for why it's important to vote in not just the big presidential election and not even just the midterm elections, but in these other elections where you're voting on, you know, state level and even county and town level representation, right? Because if anything, it's, it seems to me, and I'm like, not at all. I'm talking to you because I'm someone who's trying to learn about this stuff, who doesn't know a lot about it. But from what I do know, it feels like, it seems that you can actually make and see more of a direct impact from like those smaller elections sometimes, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I don't know if you want to go into this now, but local is where it's at. Um, local is super, super powerful. A lot of, um, a lot of policies like, uh, that became a national rule or a national law, like uh, minimum wage, women's right to vote, marriage equality, environmental protections, um, lots of important landmark stuff started as local laws or local ordinances around the country and then ended up becoming a national policy. So um, who is in those seats in your city council, your town council, borough council, whatever they're called where you live, that really matters. And a lot of times those are (laughs) decided by a handful of votes. Like we're talking one vote sometimes. So whether like if you are showing up and bringing a friend that could make or break somebody's election. If there's a candidate that you really believe in, 
Um, but yeah, it's harder to pay attention to them though, right? Because like the national media is obsessed with the presidential election that's still going to be going on for a year. Um, we're like, we're having all these crazy debates. Um, and, and I don't want to say that doesn't matter because it does. Um, primaries are just around the corner, but yeah, we don't want to lose the importance of 2019 where 49,000 elections are happening in 34 states. And, um, in most places, like the three branches of government thing still applies, um, it looks a little bit different from town to town, state to state, but generally like you still have an elected legislative body. So locally that's a city council or a town council. You have a mayor an executive, um, and then a judicial branch. So there's still like a court system, same thing at the state. So you have a state house. Usually it has a house and Senate. Sometimes they have what's called a unicameral house where it's just like one body that legislates. And then of course, like your governor is the executive and then there's state courts. And so, Locally, they can decide things like becoming a sanctuary city for immigrant families. Um, it's very likely Roe v. Wade, um, which makes abortion technically legal in all 50 states. It's very likely the Supreme Court's going to overturn that next year. So if you're one of the 70% of Americans who believes in reproductive freedom and people's ability to make decisions about what to do with their own bodies, um, your local like city councils are going to be able to make decisions about whether to be a safe space for reproductive rights, whether to help people pay to access the care that they need once Roe v. Wade is no longer the guarantee that we've been used to it being. Um, they also look at things like police accountability. Oftentimes mayors have a lot of control over the police force in a city, um, you know, local jails, incarceration, homelessness is a big one, affordable housing, public transit, rent control, um, recycling, animal control, just all these, oh, potholes is a big one where I live, but all these things that really impact your day-to-day -day life, those are like your city council members. That's what their job is. That's what your mayor's job is. Um, and so it, it really, really matters who's in those seats. Um, as far as states, again, it's different from state to state, but typically, you know, the gerrymandering thing that we talked about, um, state prisons and, you know, state law enforcement accountability, environmental policies, transportation. Again, abortion rights is a huge one. We saw a bunch of really extreme um, abortion bans coming through the states, especially earlier this year. And um, those are the laws that are currently being challenged and probably going to end up at the Supreme Court. Um, stuff like healthcare access, whether or not they expanded Medicaid with the Affordable Care Act so that where people can get the care that they need. Veterans care. Um just all kinds of really big stuff. And I keep kind of laughing because it's like, when I really think about it, I'm kind of terrified because some of the people who currently occupy these seats um, and the work that I've done in politics over the last decade, I've interacted with some of them. And honestly, like a lot of them are amazing and really impressive. And some of them are, let's say not impressive or just outright scary. And uh, when I think about how much power those folks have it just really motivates me to not only get people off to the polls, but also get more people running for office against these people, because it's just, it's very scary right now, especially in places like where I live. So it's really interesting because it makes me think about two things. Like one is that I feel like our culture is so it's like really individualistic and then also really global minded in yeah. a lot of ways. Like I don't know. I just think about something like American Idol being like, you know, like we're always thinking of like the big stage and like 
the individual mm-hmm. stars like our our minds are kind of geared towards like bigger is better like national or global is like where it's at and I mean I'm not obviously speaking for my entire generation but I just think like we are definitely kind of raised a little bit more divorced from our immediate we could more totally. easily be kind of divorced or dissociated from our immediate streets neighborhoods towns communities um and kind of encouraged to I don't know not necessarily be so realize how important that is um yeah I think that's a little a, a little bit of a growing up thing yeah and if you look at the people who typically show up for the and I'm saying typically like pre-2016 I feel like we're in kind of a whole new world now yeah where it's cool to vote but um you know, typically it's people over 50 who actually show up for these elections and they tend to lean more conservative. You know, they're not necessarily going to share the views of people in our generation, um, especially when it comes to things like the environment, stuff that's not going to impact them nearly as long as it's going to impact us. Um, and also like, if you go to your neighborhood, um, like, oh, what's the word I'm looking, like neighborhood association meetings, that's where, you know, like mayors and city councilors go and campaign and kind of do their politicking because that's like kind of the most local type of organizing you can do to reach voters. And again, that crowd is mostly people. Sometimes it's like, you know, people who have kids like 30s and 40s, but typically it's like a 50 and over crowd, at least, especially the people who are in charge. So um, I think there's just a big opportunity for people who are younger or just even new to politics to kind of get involved for the first time. Cause a lot of times it's been the same people in charge of these organizations forever or in the same seats forever. I think sometimes what keeps people from getting involved, like, yes, there are different reasons. Like a, when you're like younger, maybe you're moving around more. You're not rooted in a total community and you're working really hard trying to establish yourself at a certain job or, you know, maybe you're just starting a family and like, you're pulled in a bunch of directions and you just don't feel like you have the time or the energy or whatever, like, or maybe you've felt pretty comfortable in your life. Like you've had the privilege of feeling pretty well taken care of by the system. And so you don't feel the urgency (laughs) to Mm -hmm. get involved. Um, But then I also think there's an element of like, I think about Brene Brown when she talks about shame tapes and a shame tape saying like Mm -hmm. it run it it has like two messages either like not good enough or who do you think you are and the more that I started to look into like my sample ballot and look up the people on the ballot and realize like these are just people like they're not special other types of people they're just people like me and the people I know who have decided to step into these roles and positions and I don't have to feel like I don't know enough or, you know, who am I to want to have a say in something or um, to try to learn about it and try to, you know, and believe like, yes, my voice, my opinion, my vote does matter and hold just as much weight as any other vote. Yes. And, you know, I also think beyond the scope of like valuing ourselves individually, you can also think of voting. And we talk about this at citizen well a lot where I do uh, like community organizing and I do a lot of their content. Um, You should follow us by the way, everybody. Um, But we talk about politics as collective care. Like voting is a way of how we take care of our communities. When I go and cast my vote, that's not just impacting me and maybe my family and the people around me, but it's impacting everybody who lives where I do. Right. So Um, you know, I think that for a long time, there was a lot of messaging about like, 
vote in your own best interest. Like if you don't vote, like you're not going to get what you want. And what really opened stuff up for me a few years ago was like, oh, I'm not just voting for me because like I have a ton of access and privilege. My life is pretty um, comfortable for the most part. Not to say I haven't had challenges, but um, I don't face anything near to what a lot of people do. Um, like when I vote, I'm voting on behalf of like everybody's well-being and voting for the kind of future that I want for all of us. And that doesn't mean, you know, sometimes there are really bad choices. Like today when I voted, um, I was not thrilled with any of the candidates on there, but I thought about, okay, who's going to do the least amount of harm, you know, to the people who live around me and the people I care about and the communities that I believe, um, you know, deserve a way better shake than they've already gotten. Um, so that for me, like shifting that mindset around it has really helped too. And it, I think it, I don't know, it can kind of break us out of any of that shame spiral that you're talking about when it's like, Oh, like, first of all, everybody feels this and is kind of struggling because the system was designed to confuse us and make us overwhelmed and not want to participate so that we don't overthrow it basically. Um, but when I get involved and when I educate myself or when I like ask other people questions and get other people involved, I'm actually helping everybody. So for me, that was a really powerful way to kind of shift it. Yeah. I, I do find that actually thinking about other people and um, trying to do something out of care for your community and for other people can be like a really good motivator and a way to kind of shake some of that apathy or paralysis. Like, yes, it's not about just me and my little bubble and my worries or whatever. Um, it's about something bigger. And I do think that that can be like yes. very motivating. Yeah. And I know you were talking earlier about like how voting is almost like it, not almost, it is a spiritual practice, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> it's great to meditate and practice yoga and pray and all of that stuff. But we do that so that when we go out into life, we can actually take action and make decisions that make us better people and make the world better. And I, I really feel like, um, what we say at Citizen all the time is like yoga is political. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear that, but it really is. It's, it's very radical to do something that brings you in touch with your own emotions and your own shadow and your own, perhaps, especially if you're like me and a white person, um, perhaps complicit in some stuff that whether you were conscious of it or not is still really problematic. And so, um, that process of unpacking it and then it's like, okay, what do I do with it? Um, and for me, voting is probably number one of what I do with it. Anything with spiritual practice, I think, like you're saying, if it's all just about you, your yoga, your meditation, your mm -hmm. prayer life, and it's just about you and trying to make you feel better, it's not, that's not really spirituality, right? Like that's yeah, just protect, exactly. that's just trying to protect yourself. And the other thing is, I think if it's all about trying to get away from the world, trying to escape the world as it is. So whether that's, you know, you just do yoga in your room and you pray in your room and you meditate in your room and then just try to avoid people outside all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I, I, I think that the, the point of those practices is so that you can bring what you experience from them out into the world or you can rejuvenate right. yourself so that you have some energy and some love and compassion to bring out to the world and to other people. 
and and the world and other people are very messy complicated yeah annoying <laughs> irritating angering like like <laughs> that's the whole thing and so I think it's also like there's a certain level of acceptance like I, when I hear from spiritual teachers who I really admire like they have a certain level of acceptance of like yeah like other people are annoying you know and like <laughs> yes like yeah. the world is frustrating and I don't get to just opt out so similarly like yes our political systems are broken and there's a lot of corruption and greed and all this stuff that we would rather just be like if you have the luxury I know like in the past my thing has kind of been like I just want to opt out like I don't I hate politics oh I don't you mm -hmm. know I don't want to be involved in that and almost like I don't want to have to get messy with that. I'm going to remain untarnished over here, just not caring about politics. And it's like, but right. I'm living in the system. I can't escape it. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no such thing as neutral, right? Like there's that old quote, I think it's is it Ellie Wiesel who said, you know, when you're neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. So like, you're going to get messy <laughs> whether you sit it out or not. Um, so you may as well like take a, an action that's something you've given some thought to and, and have decided on rather than just in a non-decision, which is still a decision. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it also reminds me, actually, there's another quote from a rabbi that I've heard in several different places. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's something like, um, you don't have to finish the work of bringing peace to the world, but neither can you desist from it. Exactly. Yeah. Cause my black and white brain, like when I, there was, there was like a year where I left politics when I was about 25 and I had just done the yoga teacher training. I had just started my own trauma therapy. I was a mess in every possible way and was thinking like, oh, politics isn't really for me. And I spent that year really struggling with that black and white thinking of, I either have to be all in and doing, you know, um, you were working on the Hill, right? Yes. I, yeah. Yeah. So I worked for senators as like a legislative aide. So I was helping, you know, to write bills and letters and basically just pushing the agenda forward of whoever I was working for, um, which sometimes I agreed with, sometimes I didn't. Um, but yeah, I kind of burned out. And like when I needed that trauma therapy was when I just sort of, I had to like stop the pace I was going at and just kind of switch gears. And I came home to Indiana and, um, you know, that whole year I was like looking at all these yoga texts, like, is this telling me, okay, non-attachment, does that mean I don't do anything? Does that mean, and yeah, like, I wanted I this really definitive answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I realized, first of all, God, universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it has like put, planted a seed inside of me that gets really angry <laughs> when I see injustice. And I don't think that's by accident because there's a difference between self-righteous anger and there's, and like, anger from a place of wanting to keep people safe. Like when you see something messed up happening, if you feel angry, that's your signal from your body, from spirit, from whatever to do something about it. And so I think as long as I'm channeling that, I'm actually a really useful person because it's coming from a place of love for people, for the planet, for, you know, my family, for animals, for whatever it is. Um, that's the target at that particular moment. Um, yeah, what I had to finally realize, somebody told me a story about um, there's like a little boy on a beach and all of these starfish had gotten washed up in a storm. And the little boy was one by one throwing like, you know, there were thousands of starfish and he was throwing them one by one back into the ocean to save them. And a grown up came up to him and said, 
Like, why even bother? You can't save all of them. And he was like, well, it matters to this one what I do. Like, this yeah, one starfish. Too. Yeah. And that for me was like, oh, okay. So I might not be, you know, an all-powerful being who can fix it all, but none of us is. And, like, our job is to do that together. And that's how change actually happens. It's all these small little radical actions that people take one by one and then together. And that's what eventually changes things. Yeah. I think you and I have talked before about like a perfectionist mindset and how that can be so destructive. And I do think again, like living in a culture where we are kind of I don't know, often encouraged to be thinking on like the grandest scale and to mm-hmm. see success as like, oh, success has to mean that you have this like massive quantifiable impact, right? Yeah. Um, like, in ter- especially in terms of money and things like that. And it's like, no, you can keep your head down and save the starfish that you can and do your best. Like, that's all yes. any of us can do. Yeah. Definitely better than just opting out. (laughs) Exactly. And then like bring a friend with you to the beach the next day, you know? Exactly. Um, Like my friend Charlie and I, um, she owns a yoga studio here in Indy. And over the last couple months, we've been just doing these gatherings, not every week, but on Sundays sometimes where we just get together and with people, we're, we're calling it people power in yoga. And it's basically just like these little parties where we get together and talk about white supremacy and, you know, voting rights and just all the messy stuff. And we've really made it a community. And then today we had what we called a ballot party where we ate leftover Halloween candy. And then we all went to the early voting place before it closed at five and voted together. And it was so fun. And, you know, there were, I think, like six of us plus someone's kid. And was that, you know hundreds and hundreds of people who are going to swing that one city council election? Like, no, but that's where change starts. It it starts on a small scale. Um, And like Adrienne Marie Brown wrote a book called Emergent Strategy that I highly recommend to anybody who's just interested in how change happens on any level. And she talks all about how like what's happening on the smallest level is exactly what's happening on the biggest level. So when I look at you know, for example, who's who's occupying the White House right now and what's happening in our federal government, like that's, that's honestly just a manifestation of all of our grossest shadowy stuff as a country coming up and out. Um, because like what's happening on the larger level is what's happening individually. And I'm not saying any of us is solely responsible for this happening, but um, if that's possible, like think about what's possible if we're all like channeling our consciousness for the greater good toward what we want to see. That's what makes me very hopeful and very excited about the future, honestly, even though I'm scared. Yeah. Yeah. And something that you're pointing out is that there is a huge social component in terms of motivating people. So like, there, you know, um, I was reading an article about what gets people to vote. And one thing was just like, Literally just someone saying, hey, I'm going to vote. Do you want to do you want to come with me tomorrow? Yeah. You know? Do you need a ride? Exactly. <laughs> and I think come? about um, even like I doing perennials has been so helpful. I've like met so many people and even just on like Instagram. So there's one perennials listener that I follow um, and she posts a lot about climate change and going to like lots of different rallies and around the time of the climate strike, I was feeling like really inspired by everything I was seeing her posting. 
And so I found out, I looked up, okay, there's going to be a rally in the town where I work. And then I sent an email to all my coworkers and I said, I'm going to go to this on Friday. If anyone wants to come with me, I'm going to go at lunchtime. And so then a group of like six of us or something walked down at lunchtime. And it was just a total domino effect of like, you know, and then actually while I was at the rally, I heard this amazing speaker, this 16 year old high school student named Ananya Singh, who is the CEO of a youth led movement, a youth led organization called Greening Forward. And then she gave this amazing speech and I went up to her and I said, would you be on my podcast? And she was like, yes. And so I'm going to be posting an episode with her soon because we recorded that and she's incredible. I love that. I feel like the young kids get it. I know. Yeah. It's like, I feel like what you're saying is it's all about the relationships, whatever yeah. kind that is, you know, like, cause that's really what community organizing is. It's building relationships and ideally they become strong enough that they can withstand it when eventually in the long run, there's going to be tension and conflict and disagreements. But over time, like you build relationships so that you can make change together on whatever scale that is. Um, And, and, you know, I think, I feel like we're talking about so much that reminds me of Bernie Brown. Um, Yeah. But the shame kind of keeping people stuck. I mean, first of all, Again, that's by design in the system. Like, it is not easy to figure out even where to vote if you don't really know where to look or, like, Google the right things. And that's on purpose um, because people who have had power for a long time know that the harder they make it for us to vote, um, you know, the more likely it is that nothing will change because the way things are going seem to be working for a select few people. Um, So anybody who's listening, don't be too hard on yourself about it. Um, and I, you know, I, I also see something in people, you know, coming from coming at this more of like my background where like I started kind of waking up politically in college. It was like, you know, the 2008 election around 2007, I started getting really invested in stuff and, you know, then ended up working in politics. And so I think sometimes from this side of things, there's a little bit of shaming behavior toward other people. Um, and and I I don't I want to be careful because I I think that a lot of it's actually a little bit legitimate, right? Like there is some truth to um again, the context of like race and privilege and all that really matters because I understand the frustration of like, where have you guys been? <laughs> like we've told you for a long time this is really bad. Um, but at the same time, like I never wanna I never want that kind of messaging to keep people out. Um who, who are willing to learn. So I'm kind of navigating how to communicate about this in a productive way. Cause I'm also far from perfect. Um, and we'll always have a lot to learn, but, um, I do try to be mindful of how I talk about things, but I, I think it's just a good reminder too, that the bench has been pretty thin for a while. Um, and people are really burnt out and exhausted. And I think that just kind of creates a situation where it's easy to be like, come on guys (laughs) like what are you doing yeah um yeah but that also like you're saying it is complicated but yeah like I was sharing with you earlier you know when I got my sample ballot in the mail I had uh, you know some free time one morning and I was like I'm just gonna sit down with this sample ballot and I'm gonna start with the the simplest building blocks of trying to understand you know each different piece on the ballot and you know, bit by, and that's where it is really helpful also, I think, to kind of, to actually start with some of the local stuff, because you really are building from the smallest, you know, most local level. And then 
building outward and it kind of starts to make more sense. I was just learning like these different building blocks and uh, on my town level, my, you know, county, my state. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess in this conversation, I'm showing my own insecurity and places where I get stuck with thinking, oh, I'm not smart enough to understand this. My brain doesn't work that way, whatever. Um, So if anyone else like tends to get into that mindset, there's a lot to be said for just like taking a breath, sitting down. Google is amazing. (laughs) Like you can Google every (laughs) word that you don't understand and you can start to just start to fill it in for yourself and don't expect yourself to get it all right away, but you can you can read the candidates' websites if they have them. You can read news articles. You can start to like color it in for yourself, and you know, and just trust that you'll like learn over time as you go. And you, all yeah. you can do is do your best. <laughs> exactly, and you know, there and there can be really um, complicated decisions sometimes to make on a ballot where two candidates might seem super similar, but once you do a Google News search, you'll learn, okay, so this one's been in office for 25 years and they did this shady thing with their campaign money four years ago. Like that kind of stuff will come up and it'll be a little bit more clear how to make decisions. Um, even if somebody's like, let's say their websites about issues are identical. Um, and something my friend mentioned at the thing today was, you know, look at their social media too. look at who's following them. Like who of your friends seems to be following and support, like who of your friends are the organizations that you look up to and follow, um, on different issues that you care about. Like, are they liking all of that candidates photos? And, um, there are some organizations that will actually endorse candidates, um, not nonprofits, but if they have, um, what's called like a C4 or a PAC, um, they can actually get involved politically and say, we like this candidate for this reason, this is who we recommend voting for. Um, If abortion access is a really important issue to you, Vote Pro-Choice has a really cool voter guide on their website that you can look up um, and just like plug in your address. And they literally have all the recommendations from them and Planned Parenthood and groups like that. Um, But really any issue you can come up with, um, there's a group out there that is endorsing candidates or not endorsing candidates based on their records. So it doesn't have to all be on us. Like we can also defer sometimes to the experts that we trust, which can help. There's different approaches to voting. Like some people go into the booth and they just know I'm just going to vote Democrat down the line or I'm just going to vote Republican down the line. And I'm curious about your thoughts about trying to learn as much as you can about the individual candidates versus just saying, okay, I know what these parties generally stand for and I'm just going to vote down the line. So you're talking to a pretty progressive (laughs) Democrat right now. Um, And I, I actually wouldn't even call myself a Democrat at this point because um, a lot of times somebody might have a D or an R next to their name, but in practice, like their voting record doesn't exactly match up to the values of the party that they are supposedly a member of. So I personally, um, I mean, if I know and I've already decided all who I'm going to vote for and they all are all in the same party, then I'll do the straight ticket. But um, I really recommend people take a second and just really look at who they're voting for when that happens. Because sometimes, like in Indy, we had a situation where there was a guy who had some credible accusations of childhood sex abuse. Um against him. And like, you know, he was on the ticket with other people I would have voted for. And if I had voted a straight ballot, I would have been casting my vote for this like monster. So, you know, there are, yeah, I guess my, my answer would be, it depends. And I would just be careful with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that also is an obstacle for people when it comes to voting is just frustration with the system. Obviously, we've talked about it, like frustration with corruption, with greed, with gerrymandering, but also just with the two-party system that we basically have. Um, Yeah. And I know that that can, like, people can feel like, well, I'm not complete, I don't completely feel like a Democrat or a Republican. And that's where I feel like how you vote can feel like a a statement about your identity. And I feel like that Mm -hmm. can sometimes rattle people like, well, but I don't fully identify that way. And I, you know, I don't want to have to just pick the lesser evil of these two choices, right? (laughs) See, what I would say to them is you should really run for office (laughs) or recruit somebody or fundraise for some, because truly like we're going to keep having really crappy choices until more people feel ready to get involved. Um, so I, I say that with a lot of kindness and understanding of where they're coming from. Cause I feel it again, I felt it today when I cast my ballot, but, um, I, I just bring it back to collective care. Like what of these choices is going to cause the least harm to my community, to the people who are already having a hard time, um, who's going to be the easiest to hold accountable. Um, cause even if someone's not, let's say perfect or great, even, um, there can be a lot of organizing that happens once they're in office to kind of keep them accountable to what the community wants um, and can make their lives very uncomfortable if they don't. Um, Cause you know, protest works, lobbying works uh, if it's done correctly. Um, but yeah, ultimately we really just need better people running. Um, we need a deeper bench of good people who are doing it for the right reasons um, and who are running because they care about people. So that, that's what I come back to. And that's part of why, like, the work I'm trying to start to move into is working with people who might have these sort of blocks about, well, I'm not smart enough or I don't have the right background or, you know, I have I've sent nudes or whatever it might be, because I think there's a lot of mental chatter that holds us back from getting involved, whether it's just voting or even um, or running, which is is what I think we need more of. So and I think like the final um, obstacle that I've been thinking about lately that I would like to mention in the episode is like fear of making choices because I think that yeah. it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Like it, for, for people who struggle with making decisions about like what to order, you know, from a menu when they're at a restaurant, it's like, oh, that fear of making choices. And I just think it comes back to that idea of like, making the best decision you can at the time with the information that you have and allowing yourself and everyone else to be human and to know that it's not the end of the story. Yeah. And you know, the identity thing that you were getting at before too, it's like, yes, it's true. Our choices end up kind of making who we are, like what we choose to do is ultimately, I, I believe who we are. Well, at our core, we're just love, I think, but our choices reflect where we're acting from. Um, but also, like if your identity is so tied to which box you're checking on a ballot with and wanting that to be so perfect, like I would just say, like spend some time on other stuff too. <laughs> um, Cause I, yeah, I, anytime like one decision feels like it's all of who we are, I think that's when it becomes really overwhelming. Like I, I struggled with that, especially with where to live. Um, and I'm currently struggling with that. And then I'm like, well, wherever I live, I'm still me. And I'm, I, I'm still doing my best and I'm still like a good person who's trying. So I don't know. 
you just kind of reminded me of that. Richard Rohr always says how we do anything is how we do everything. So if the way that you approach voting is as I have in the past to feel, uh, you know, overwhelmed, to feel like you're not up for it, to feel like you just want to avoid it, to feel like paralyzed Mm -hmm. by choice. Like uh, those are things I experience with any sort of decision, you know, Mm -hmm. or Or in my case, it's like getting a little (laughs) self-righteous. That's definitely how I do everything. So I feel like (laughs) it can really, um, the way that we look at voting and our political systems and our engagement in our communities and our civic lives can point us towards opportunities for learning and growth, period. Totally. Right? And relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what I, one thing I noticed today in the session, we had one person who hadn't looked at her ballot yet. She's like, I don't even know who my council candidates are. And one of the other people in the room was like, oh, yeah, this one person who's running for your council seat, um, he's the reason we got this funding to do this really important thing. So there was also just the, the experience that other people have can really help inform how you make decisions. Um, Because, again, it doesn't have to all be on you, like doing the perfect research. A lot of times it's just talking to people. And they'll have a story yeah. that might help. Yeah, you we don't and can't do it alone. And that's the whole Definitely point can't. of democracy, <laughs> right? Like that's the whole point yeah. of voting is that you're not the only one, that no one is exactly. the only one. Exactly. And it's so much more fun together. It's, it feels like yeah. a heavy lift alone. You don't have to be an expert. Just show up and just, yeah. and then keep showing up. And yeah. that's really all it comes down to. And you don't have to yeah. start a revolution. You can join yeah, someone exactly. else's. Because <laughs> that's what a revolution is, yes. right? It's like several little ones happening all at the same time. But it has to start inside. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect place to wrap up. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was really helpful. And it, as I told you earlier, it really helped motivate me to prioritize thinking about this and like doing some learning, doing some research, doing some talking to people, having some interesting conversations about it and like finding out all the information I needed to find out about voting for the first time in, you know, the town that I moved to. Like, where do I go and how do I make sure I'm registered and how do I find out who's on the ballot? So I'm going to make sure to post those resources on the show notes page so that people listening, if you are also trying to find out those things. Um, you can just click, go to perennials.podbean.com and um, in the description for this episode, I'll put a link. Cool. And can I make one last suggestion before Absolutely. we go? Yes. Just, you kind of named this um, about what kind of gets people to go vote. Like everybody, if you are all set yourself and have a plan to vote, invite friends like just text people ask them if they need help making a plan ask them if they need a ride ask if they need childcare. just text people texting is one of the best ways to get people to come with you all right thank you so much lauren i really appreciate thank you. it thank you so much for listening to the perennials podcast i'm victoria russell If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at perennialspodcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.